Hey, welcome once again. This is Ellen Iron Dove. Dialogue is the key to reform. Access is the key to dialogue. At Iron Dove, you can find both. Come on down, talk it up, and let's see what we can figure out. Oh my gosh, is pretty much all I can say. South Dakota signed into law yesterday, March 6, 2006, the South Dakota Women's Health and Human Life Protection Act, HB 1215 which basically is the prohibition against any acts, certain acts, causing the termination of an unborn human life. Basically, it's their anti-abortion law. And it's shocking. The language is absolutely insane. And... I don't even know where to go with this one. South Dakota became part of the United States when the U.S. acquired the region as part of the Louisiana Purchase in 1803. This is said to be the greatest accomplishment of Thomas Jefferson's presidency. Without war or the loss of a single American life, the territory purchase doubled the size of the United States overnight. Paying less than five cents an acre, this transaction set a precedent for the purchase of territory. Thomas Jefferson was the first president inaugurated in Washington, D.C., and as a member of the committee to draft the Declaration of Independence, Jefferson has been credited with some of the following quotes. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, and among those are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Also, he said, equal and exact justice to all men freedom of religion, freedom of the press, freedom of person under the protection of habeas corpus, and trial by juries impartially selected these principles from the bright constellation which has gone before us. A habeas corpus is a petition filed with a court by a person who objects to his own or another's detention or imprisonment. It's kind of interesting because here's a guy who was instrumental in South Dakota becoming a state, who has all these really great ideas about freedom and liberty and self-determination, and unfortunately, I guess, South Dakota just interpreted that as only meaning, literally, that men are created equal and that men have freedom of religion and freedom of person, etc., etc. So... I just thought that was kind of just an interesting sideline note. Roe v. Wade was the infamous Supreme Court case which determined that the United States laws against abortion violated the constitutional right to privacy. The decision overturned all state laws that banned or restricted abortion. The general dates regarding Roe v. Wade case uh, were that it was argued from December of 1971 until October of 1972, with an opinion being issued January 22nd of 1973. Amazingly, at that time, and still today, the ancient attitudes dating back to and including the statement quoting Hippocrates, the Hippocratic Oath, and Hippocrates, the father of medicine, 
the wisest and greatest practitioner of his art. And, and they go and they actually quote this guy and say, the most important and most complete medical personality of the medical profession of antiquity and of whom the famous oath that has stood so long as the ethical guide of and that bears his name, Hippocrates. He lived in Greece. Well, they, they mentioned that he was born in 460 B.C., but that he died in 377 B.C., which is kind of interesting because... He actually died before he was born. In any case, they continue to write, the oath varies according to the particular translation, but in any translation, the content is clear. Quote, I will give no deadly medicine to anyone if asked, nor suggest any such counsel. And in the like manner, I will not give to a woman pessary to produce abortion. I will neither give a deadly drug to anybody if asked for it, nor will I make a suggestion to this effect. Similarly, I will not give to a woman any abortive remedy. It continues with, the oath was not uncontested, even in Hippocrates' day. Only the Pythagorean school of philosophers frowned upon the related act of suicide. Most Greek thinkers, on the other hand, commended abortion, at least prior to viability. For the Pythagoreans, however, it was a matter of dogma. The embryo was animate from the moment of conception, and abortion meant destruction of a living being. The abortion clause of the oath therefore echoes Pythagorean doctrines, and in no other stratum of Greek opinion. Throughout the judgment, the chief justices of the Supreme Court continually refer to ancient, ancient texts. Dr. Edelson at one point concludes that the oath originated in a group representing only a small segment of Greek opinions and that it was certainly not accepted among all ancient physicians. He points out that medical writings accredited to Galen, 130 to 200 AD, give evidence of the violation of almost every one of its injunctions but with the end of antiquity, decidedly change took place. Resistance against suicide and against abortion became common. The oath came to be popular. Emerging teachings of Christianity were in agreement with the Pythagorean ethic. The oath became the nucleus of all medical ethics and was applauded as the embodiment of truth. Thus suggests Dr. Edelson that it is a Pythagorean manifesto and not the expression of absolute standard of medical conduct. Similarly, other ancients have been quoted in this document, and it's amazing. I actually suggest you go into a Google search, type in Roe v. Wade judgment, and read this thing because it's just unbelievable. Uh, the theological debate was referred to in that reflected in the writings of St. Augustine, who made a distinction between embryo inanimatus, not yet endowed with a soul, and embryo animatus. He may have drawn upon Exodus 21:22 at one point. However, he expressed the view that human powers cannot determine the point during fetal development at which the critical change occurs. He uh, references the Augustine de Originete Anime 4.4 and the creation of human soul, the crime of abortion in canon law at the Catholic University and canon law studies. The discussion even continues further. 
It should be sufficient to note briefly a wide divergence of thinking on the most sensitive and difficult question. There has always been strong support for the view that life does not begin until live birth. This was the belief of the Stoic. It appears to be the predominant thought, though not unanimous, attitude of the Jewish faith. It may be taken to represent also the position of a large segment of Protestant community, insofar as can be ascertained. Organized groups have taken a formal position on the abortion issue and generally guarded as a matter of conscience for the individual and her family. The biggest issue amongst the theological debate seems to be the Aristotelian theory of meditate animation that held sway throughout the Middle Ages and the Renaissance in Europe and continued to be the official Catholic dogma until the 19th century. Despite opposition to this insolument theory from those in the church who would recognize the existence of life from the moment of conception, the latter is now, of course, the official belief of the Catholic Church. So I have a simple question. What happened to the separation of church and state? I mean, Thomas Jefferson, who all the way back in the very beginning of my little spiel here, was the instrumental in the state of South Dakota becoming a state, part of the United States, who himself was very specific and very involved in the writing of the language that specifically said that all men, and I would hope that includes women, but obviously it doesn't, have the freedom of religion. You know, they keep trying to make this into a legal issue, except that they're arguing it on theological basis, based on thousands and thousands and thousands of year old books that just are not pertinent today in today's society, in today's culture, with the position of women in society today, which thankfully is much better than it was 2000 years ago. In any case, in the end, the Supreme Court ruled that women have the right to privacy. And I quote, the right to privacy, whether it be founded in the 14th Amendment's concept of personal liberty and restrictions upon state action as we feel it is, or as the district court determined in the Ninth Amendment's reservations of the rights to the people, is broad enough to encompass a woman's decision whether or not to terminate her pregnancy. The detriment that the state would impose upon the pregnant woman by denying this choice altogether is apparent. Specific and direct harm, medically diagnosable, even in early pregnancy, may be involved. Maternity or additional offspring may force upon the woman a distressful life and future. Psychological harm may be imminent. Mental and physical health may be taxed by child care. There is also the distress for all concerned associated with the unwanted child. And there is the problem of bringing a child into a family already unable, psychologically and otherwise, to care for it. In other cases, as in this one, the additional difficulties and continuing stigma of unwed motherhood may be involved. 
All these are factors the woman and her responsible physician necessarily will consider in consultation. We therefore conclude that the right of personal privacy includes the abortion decision, but that this right is not unqualified and must be considered against important state interests in regulation. Eighteen states had uh, laws that were enacted before the Roe v. Wade decision. These laws either completely or partially banned any access to abortion. A reversal of Roe v. Wade in these states would mean that the ban could once again immediately be enforced in those states. Some of the states have injunctions, but they could be repealed. Now, the laws are, are, in particular, I'm going to talk about South Dakota, okay, because that's the one that came to the forefront and decided they were going to be the ones to fight the fight. Their law is, their legislation is fairly short and to the point. The Reader's Digest version is, you have no right to an abortion, period, end of story. That includes cases of rape, of incest, of everything else. Anybody who performs an abortion will be subject to a class 5 felony and the law would punish doctors who perform the operation with five-year prison term and a $5,000 fine. There is a tiny little clause of the in a case where there is a serious risk of substantial irreversible bodily function of the pregnant woman, in which case it might be necessary to terminate a pregnancy. But um, it's pretty serious. And it goes all the way to the, to the it, it basically, it reads as follows. I'm going to read you just one little section. No person may knowingly administer to, prescribe for, or procure for, or sell to any pregnant woman any medicine, drug, or other substance with the specific intent of causing or abetting the termination of the life of an unborn human being unless it is necessary to preserve the life of the pregnant woman or if there is a serious risk of substantial and irreversible impairment of bodily function of the pregnant woman. There you go. I'm going to stop here and uh, continue tomorrow with uh, part two of South Dakota's ban on abortion. And uh, come on down and let me know what you think about this. Until then, this is Ellen Iron Dove signing out.